0: You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia.
1: Welcome to The Main Course, I'm Barbara Castiglia, and today we're gonna to go back to talking to something that um, is a hot topic uh, for me, uh, and that's restaurant technology, um, and everything that's going on, what trends are going on, you know, now that we're hopefully coming out of the pandemic, what restaurants will want, you know, and what, what guests want out of the technology that they've kind of gotten a taste of. Um, and with me today is Chris Siefkin, who's the head of technology at Xenial, um, so, welcome, Chris. So, first, um, I was interested in your background and what got you kind of excited about restaurant t- technology space as a career.
0: Yeah, good question. So, I, I actually have a degree in philosophy. So, logically, I got into technology, um, and uh, you know, I, I fell into the restaurant space really um, when when originally um, we started uh, Beanstalk, which is kind of where I came from. Um, you know where I came to this organization from. Uh, we were building software to try and recruit college students um, as a part of a uh, marketing automation campaigns. and um, and actually serendipitously met the CEO of Expient uh, at a, at an event. Uh, and um, yeah he he was working on an opportunity at Jack in the Box and liked what our company was doing uh, from a marketing automation perspective and thought there was a really interesting opportunity to connect the point of sale data to, uh, marketing automation. And that, that led me, uh, to get into the restaurant space and, um, and ultimately get acquired by Heartland, uh, payments, which, you know, later was acquired by global payments. And so, um, and so as I've been here, the opportunities continue to, to show themselves and, have provided me to the chance to sort of lead our enterprise restaurant um, offerings uh, from Global Payments, which has been an incredibly exciting journey. So.
1: You know, a lot of people may hear the names in you and they're like, what does that mean? What is the connection to the hospitality industry? And I looked it up myself, and then I was like, it's the perfect name for a company for the hospitality industry. So if you could kind of go over what it means and the connection to hospitality.
0: Well, I'll first say that any anything that... Um, that gets named if i if i dislike the name usually that means it's going to stick and and it wasn't my first choice personally but um but yeah xenial actually is the uh greek word for hospitality and um you're right uh, over time it's really uh it's really grown on me and it's it's a really smart name i think and it's the most logical name you would have in in a business that services restaurateurs and um now food and beverage events stadiums um and the broader sort of enterprise market. It's, it's a fantastic name.
1: So I guess, tell me, I guess in a nutshell, what exactly it is that you guys are doing in the space right now?
0: So we offer a, a large number of products. They generally represent something like 16 categories. Um, the primary space we're probably most well known for, I think anyway, is is in the point of sale space. So uh, we provide, um, Point of sale systems to the vast majority of our customers. Um, we we are doing business with 19, I think, of the top 20 25 food brands in the U.S. So, um, you know, fairly significant market share. Uh, it, they our our products break into a few different categories. Um, POS obviously being sort of the flagship offering that we have, but we also offer DMB solutions or digital menu board solutions um, to our customers. And that's a fairly large swath of our install base. Um, we have kitchen solutions, kitchen automation solutions, um, additional drive-through technology, drive-through timing, um, automation, kiosks. Um, the list sort of goes on. There, there's a number of, of areas, but, you know, if you look broadly at our our offering, we, we have sort of, the whole thing you would need to run, um, an enterprise QSR brand. And so that goes from point of sale to, um, to, like I mentioned, kitchen management to the back office, um, out to the drive through um, the integrations with the delivery providers, uh, mobile apps and mobile integrations. And so, um, if there's something technologically happening generally in the restaurant, you know, we have a hand in it or, or we have a product that answers that call.
1: So can you list off who some of your customers are and then kind of like what's the process of how they, how, you know, they work or is it like a holistic and you go in and, and, you know, put together the whole, uh, the whole problem and solve the whole problem for them or is it more piece by piece um, and then they kind of just build the relationship with you?
0: Yeah. um, So, so the first answer to your question, you know, uh, largest customers are Restaurant Brands International, which is. Burger King, uh, Popeyes, um, Tim Hortons. Um, we also have Taco Bell, uh, Jack in the Box, Whataburger. Um, so, so large, large chains that that again most people would recognize. Um, in terms of your second question, we typically will start. Well, I'll just say we, we've got some really long-standing relationships. I believe you take a customer like Denny's, who's been a customer of ours for 30 plus years. They've actually rolling out their third generation point of sale system with us. So in a lot of cases, these customers have been um, involved in some kind of relationship with, with us for a, an incredibly long time. And there's a lot of trust that's been built up over the years. Um, but absolutely, you know, not every customer has every product. And so uh, there's certainly opportunities where we go uh in with something to solve a problem and then organically the conversation sort of shifts over to other problems that can be solved once you know once we demonstrate success and and uh trust in that first in that first area and it and it really is about that sort of relationship trust play because in many ways you know we are an extension of our customers strategy and their team Um, and we we try to provide not products so much as solutions. Um, hey, these are the problems we're trying to solve and how do we take our tools in our toolbox um, and provide them with ways to do what um, what they're looking to achieve. And so we, we try to be as consultative as we possibly can be when we approach these things, which allows us to be more flexible. In some cases, it makes sense to use you know all of our products. And in other cases, it may make sense to use someone else alongside of us and, and work together um, to, to provide the best solution for a customer.
1: So you're working on a really cool pilot program um, that's really designed to help uh, QSRs. Um, so can you explain a little bit about how that works um, and how the pilot's going?
0: Yeah, uh, we are working on some fairly sophisticated drive-through um, uh, automation uh, workflows. And so there's two, two bigger... Maybe three big parts to it. Um, the first, and these I think are, are logical extensions of sort of what's next given where technology in our personal lives is going. Um, but the first is uh, is vision, where we're taking the computer vision capabilities, the cameras, and we're starting to look at the drive-through. You know, previously, we I think we have something like eleven thousand um, drive-through timing solutions installed out in the in the field, but Primarily, they use sonic detectors or loops that were actually cut into the ground. Um, and we can kind of all see where this is going with the advent of self-driving cars. Why not take that same technology and use it in the in the physical um, drive-through as well as the parking lot to try and understand what the behavior of the consumers are in um, your physical real estate, and and make sure that you're building. Solutions that account for their whole experience versus just the experience from when they place the order to when they pay for the order or, or receive the food, um, and so th- that's one piece of the puzzle. Um, it, it what's great about that is that it doesn't just provide timing information, um, which is previously what you would typically get out of those solutions, but it also provides us with the ability to track uh, a car, a specific car, as it moves around the the Parking lot or the drive-thru, and understand the status of the order that's happening alongside that car. And so, you know, when I go to line bus someone today without this technology, you know, you know that you created an order. You don't know how long that car was waiting. Um, We have some customers who may run the food out to the car before they get to, you know, any of the sort of standard places they might go um, to pay for or pick up the food. And so, you know really understanding the customer or consumer experience is is quite difficult and this gives us the ability to do that so so as another good example if i did that um uh order and and i did a line busting order i can then track that that car has now got an order and i can actually um in some of the screens that we've you know put up inside the restaurant show the status of that order as it goes around and i can actually say hey this car here their order is done Um, you can run the food out to them and we could, you know, tell you to do that potentially before the car makes it into a place where they can't drive off. Um, Additionally, you know, you can look at the, um, the parking lot and, and see when a car pulls up and if they've opted in for online ordering, you can say, okay, there's a white pickup truck in the parking lot. I was expecting a white pickup truck. You know, this is probably, um, Jim who's ordered you know, a chicken sandwich. And so I can run that food out there. That can be something that dings on the kitchen screen to get a runner out to get that food to that car sooner and more efficiently. Um, and so you can make better use of your real estate. And I think that's ultimately the goal, uh, especially as you look at the changes in consumer behavior during the pandemic and how most of the transactions, if not all, Shifted from a mix of in in restaurant dining to drive-through, um, you really have to take advantage of the, the real estate you have. Um, a lot of folks stop building single-lane drive-through restaurants; they only build dual-lane restaurants so that they can get that um, get that order flow through. And so, uh, anything we can do technologically to to make the best use of that real estate is going to have an impact on their um, you know a- annual unit volume.
1: So it's taking, you know, adding data, but adding a lot of in, insightful data that they can use to address both the customer experience. But I'm assuming you could also kind of identify if there are any pain points, say, if, you know, wow, wow, are the French fries are taking an awful long time. Why is that? Why are they taking more time or or things like that that then could be addressed, you know, in the, in, in the store?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a few a few pieces, you know, if you kind of take that and, and go a step further. Um, we know how long the line is beyond the menu board, which is something these traditional systems don't know. And so because of that, we can inform our kitchen equipment to um, to tell the staff at the restaurant to start preparing more food. Typically, they would be just looking out the window or looking at a security monitor um, and perhaps just just on um, gut feel or, or responsibility to wanting to you know, drive that restaurant's volume higher because of the way that they're compensated. They might say, "Oh, I've got, you know, I've got looks like maybe a, a long line of cars. It's beyond what I can see. Let me just start throwing burger patties on the grill so that I can get, you know, prepared for this rush that that I'm about to be hit with." Well, we can add a lot more math to that equation. Um, and so, you're absolutely right. Things uh, like French fries or or chicken strips, where you might have to wait eight minutes for those to fry um they can be you know pre pre-made so you're not uh stuck with a hiccup and you know when you're at a lunch rush and you've got cars not only do minutes count in terms of how many people you can get through but you know if if you as a consumer drive by a location that's you know completely backed up and almost out out on the street and there's one across the street that's not that way you might make a different choice and those dollars might go somewhere else and that that is Something, you know, we're actively trying to make sure we help help these customers, um, you know, maximize their their physical real estate investment.
1: So obviously we learned that the drive through was so vitally important to restaurants, uh, you know, during the pandemic. Um, are you seeing that guests are still going for drive through? um and that um, that all of this technology will only encourage more drive through in the years to come.
0: I, that's really complicated to, to answer. I think for for everybody, right? Um, we certainly see still a disproportionate percentage of drive through usage um, as it compares to where people place orders. But people are coming back in to the to the restaurants, um, and yeah, you know, it's becoming more frequent you know, what, what consumer behavior is going to do in five years. It's really hard to know. I think, um, if anything, (laughs) we've all, we've all probably stopped speculating at this point, what, what's going to happen. What we do know though, just based on our conversations is that the generation that's coming up by and large, uh, would prefer not speak to anybody if at all possible in their experience. Um, and so, you know, if they have options that allow them to get what they want and not have to interact with another person, I mean, and that, and what's crazy about that is that's on both sides of the counter, right? <laughs> I mean, employees equally would prefer not to interact with the guests. And so um, especially, as, you know, as, as we did some surveying and and look at that that younger demographic really is Going to push us in that in that in that way, um, then you know we're going to see different kinds of models being adopted. the The kiosk has been out for a really long time, and most everyone said, "Well, I've got a kiosk in my pocket," you know. And I mean, certainly that's true, um, but it does require some amount of commitment to put that app on your phone and and you know go through the steps and enter your credit card. And there's just some convenience factor to to using a kiosk, and we've seen a lot of adoption and uptake in that in that way. And um, consumers, when they're not, you know, being, or they don't feel like they're being judged by what they're ordering, will typically increase their order, <laughs> you know, by by market percentages, you know, double digit percentages for uh, ticket average. And so there's some great benefits to, to offering those types of solutions. And again, these aren't new, these have been around for years. Um, but, you know, the time has just changed, and, and it's become an opportunity because what people have done historically is no longer the way they think about transacting today.
1: Um, Yeah. I always heard a thing that, you know, if it was the girl behind the Dunkin' Donuts counter who asked you if you wanted extra hash browns, you're more likely to say no, but if it's the computer on or on the screen, then you're more likely to say, yeah, you know, maybe I'll have it because you're not going to get that kind of judgment. Um, uh, You know, speaking, I guess, you know, you talked a little bit about the personal use of, of technology and then, you know, where, uh, you know, what guests want. Um, So what are some trends that you're seeing in terms of, of, you know, uh, other trends of what guests want either from a restaurant now or from, you know, the technology, you know, uh, how, you know, how do they want to pay? Or is cash going by the wayside and and everybody wants some kind of, um, you know, easier uh, way to pay less, you know, less human interaction. And what does that kind of say about restaurants? <laughs> you know, if they want less human interaction when, you know, you're all about hospitality.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, you know, cash cash has been slowly fading for, for some time. And I think it just, you know, this has accelerated that in, in a pretty significant way. Uh, people, in my opinion, and, and this is purely my opinion, so... Um, People will pay in whatever way is the most convenient and easiest. And so, um, you know, it's, it's tough. I think uh, I think it's tough to compete with a plastic card. It, it's just simple. Right. Um, but where where it's faster and more convenient, they'll definitely take those avenues. And I mean, we're, we're pretty agnostic on this front. But, um, you know, if you're if you can tap with Apple Pay and that is a faster processing time and less painful, then you're probably going to do that. We saw, we've seen in Canada, you know, the advent of being able to tap directly at the menu board, you know, when you're placing the order is something that, that has been an uptake that's been interesting. And and I think, you know, in those markets that have had contactless for longer, consumers are much more, you know, accustomed to it. It's much simpler, you know, way, way to do business. Um, in our world, we've got Venmo and and PayPal uh, embedded now as, as mechanisms to pay. So if you're still waiting in the drive-through line, you know you can snap a picture of a QR code and it'll walk you through the payment flow, either with Venmo or PayPal or through a microsite or customers use. Um, and I think, you know, by and large, that ex, that experience is used when it adds seamless value for for the consumer. And so if I can take a picture of the barcode and pay, and it also applies my loyalty discounts and you know, gives me credit and, you know, it's less interaction and conversation I have to have with the cashier, then I'm probably going to opt to go down that road. But if, if you know, it's simpler for me or if I, you know, I'm not waiting for that car in front of me to pull forward, I may just pull out the plastic card and, and go the old route. Um, and so these questions are probably less technological. And, and i and by and large, I think that's true in a lot of the things that we work on. Th- these are less technological questions um, than they are consumer behavior and operational. You know, the, there's a lot of operational considerations which drive the behavior of what guests are going to do in a restaurant. Um, and you know that, I think, has been one of the biggest shifts in my perspective from the pandemic previously till now, which is... Um, previously it was very infrequently that we got operations folks involved in technology projects. Um, and if they did, they usually got involved at the end. And, um, and now we find that the operations team members are actually pulling us into projects forward, um, as part of the conversation. And, um, they're really thinking about, well, how do I, you know, to your point, like, look at the drive-through or look at the bottlenecks in the kitchen and see where I can close some of those gaps. I think they always looked at it before, um, but I don't think they really looked at us as a technology partner as a way to get answers to those questions. I think they really, you know, they would study it, do a time study, um, look at different kitchen equipment and so forth, and reposition a kitchen in, in like a warehouse or something to kind of get an understanding of what might be better operationally. But they didn't look at us as um, a partner as much as they do today. That's it significantly changed our interaction with our customer base.
1: Well, I think it was said that, you know, prior to the pandemic, the restaurant industry wasn't known for being an innovator on the tech side and that we've kind of fast forwarded five years um, because they're seeing that, you know, these aren't things that might be nice to have. They're things that are, they need to get through the day and to you know, really, uh, it's not about even necessarily about, you know, uh, making a living as just surviving that they need. They're looking to these techs, tech solutions as a solution that um, they didn't necessarily look to before.
0: Yeah, I I think that's true. I also think that, you know, um, the restaurant industry sometimes sells itself a little short on that front, because if you look, you know, have it your way, making, um, you know, custom making food to order, uh, is, is not a simple activity, right? It's basically custom manufacturing in a very small box with, you know, a a multitude of options. In some cases you're talking about tens of millions of choices. Um, there's just a lot of ways to put a taco together. Right. (laughs) Um, and, um, and, and we don't, you know, you you don't think about that as consumer, but it's a really complex problem to solve both Technologically, to keep track of all those choices and options, and you can tax something 12 different ways if you get really excited about it. Um, uh, but it's also a fairly complex operational thing to consider. Um, that, you know, having gotten a chance, you know, I, like I was mentioning, we recently got into the stadium and events kind of uh, vertical um, not too long ago. And um, it's interesting to see just how sophisticated um, QSR customers and um, enterprise restaurants are in comparison to that event space because of that thought process. That hey, we're going to allow customers to order it however they want to, so that they can truly get the um, the meal that they were looking for from us. Um, and and so this is sort of the next evolution of that, which is to say, okay, now we can make things the way they want them. But what's the what's the fastest, most efficient way to do that? Um, I think the increase, the dramatic increase in demand that came from the pandemic, where Customers couldn't go to their casual dining spots that they might typically have gone to, um, and, but we're still looking for some sense of normalcy, has really pushed the envelope because you had to figure out how to do more with the same amount of real estate that you had before.
1: So what has Xenial's pandemic experience been like? Um, have you noticed uh, you know, just a, a crazy amount of people you know, turning to you guys, saying, "Help, help! We, you know, we need to do something. We need to. This is a time we need to change." Um, and how is that, you know, kind of uh, changing as we look forward, you know, moving into post-pandemic, hopefully?
0: Yeah, I, that's a great question. Um, when I, you would think that because of the pandemic's impact on the restaurant business in general, that that we would have been, you know, extraordinarily impacted by this and And that it's sort of the opposite was true when the world shut down. And I remember, um, you know, I was actually supposed to go on vacation that March 13th when everything kind of stopped. The world stopped. Right. Um, And and I I can tell you, I didn't have much of a vacation. I actually spent, you know, the first several weeks of the pandemic, uh, my team and I spent almost 24 hours a day working because not everyone had finished the journey to delivery and and mobile ordering like they they were all in various sort of phases of it and delivery became the number one most critical thing that they could do um and 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 lots of folks hadn't completed you know fully integrated uh workings with doordash and uber eats and, and so on i mean um so every conversation was how do we get more restaurants on board? How do we how do we streamline the process of the order flow? How do we streamline um, the operational components of this? Because you you know how far you are down from the bottom of the list on say Uber Eats is impacted significantly by the driver experience just as much as it is the the customer experience. Um, and so we spent we spent the first I would say month or two. Um, I just remember looking back after three or four weeks and being like, wow, I don't think I've ever worked as hard um, in such a short period of time, you know, in in my life as when sort of the pandemic hit and we had to help folks change their operations. Add to that, now we have staffing challenges, right, because now people are staying home. And so back office pieces of that puzzle had to be thought about and brought in. And what are we doing to ensure the safety of the staff and do contact tracing? um if if that's what customers needed we also had to deal with um incredible changes in the food supply system um uh, and and that, by the way that's still ongoing right um but uh, just as an example one of the major food distributors uh, in north america actually went bankrupt during the first few months of the pandemic and we over a weekend they were bought by a competitor um, sort of in the middle of the night on a weekend. And over a weekend, we had to shift all food purchasing for customers from one, you know, one basically food distributor to another um, in an entire region and try to avoid any kind of disruptions. And so we've seen things like that shape and shift um, the overall response to um, the pandemic. I mean, now with prices changing so rapidly and frequently, you know, there's new operational procedures we're having to put into place because. Of inflation uh, effects on food pricing and how that's um, impacting our customers needs to re-update their menus uh, more quickly and more efficiently than they previously would have. So I, it, it's hard to quantify or even enumerate the kinds of challenges and things that we've had to deal with. You know, let alone chip shortages and and you know various other uh, parts and pieces. So it's um, it's an interesting. It's been an interesting ride. I don't think that anything could have prepared, you know, us for what kinds of changes and, and dynamics were going to be at play. Um, and you know, you learn to wake up every day and just sort of deal with the current moment uh, uh, as far as what's coming at you.
1: Yeah, it's kind of been a, a perfect storm, unfortunate perfect storm of pandemic, the supply staffing. And, you know, as many people have said, really, technology is the only thing that's been able to help a lot of restaurants because it's, you know, products like what like what you have have helped them become more efficient. So it helps them a little bit on the labor and help them better understand the supply chain so they could make, um, you know, better decisions. Um, So one of the things I noticed on your site is that, you know, you you said what you do, you know, helps restaurants become more profitable um, is. Do you think that we're coming into a profit season once again for restaurants, say 2022, 20, 2023, where, you know, that that that'll be the thing that's more on their more on their mind than just kind of the, you know, just survival mode?
0: Yeah, uh, well, it certainly is. Um, you know, the market moves in phases. Right. And and we're kind of at the end of a phase, maybe at the beginning of a new phase. And it's. Um, it's it's hard to understand what the impact of that's going to be, um, so so lots of caveats with that. But I do think um, profitability is controlled by food cost and and labor cost primarily in restaurants. And so, you know, giving folks the tools that they need, but more than just the tools that they need, giving them uh, products that help automate the decision making process to to drive what they do is really a key part of um, what sort of the next steps are, and the more we can take the thought process out of repeating, you know, good practices, the better uh, folks will operate. I I still see a tremendous amount of our customers' transaction base growing, um, and growing at rates that are just a little and you know hard to understand. Um, and I, uh, you know, I, what's the next shift in consumer behavior? How is that going to be impacted as a new normal comes back? I think those are questions that, you know, tough to answer. Um, and I, I would be, if I were working at one of our customers' um, um, restaurants in this, you know, strategic area, I'd be really thinking about, well, what is the next consumer behavior shift? Um, people are people going to go back to more casual dining? Um, certainly, uh, durable goods. Maybe, you know, th- the economy will change. Maybe it won't shrink or, or it will just in, in places we don't expect, but it's going to change. And so consumers' um, spending and behavior, I would anticipate, would also change along with that. Um, but hard to hard to figure out what's next for sure.
1: Well, uh, you mentioned automation. And, you know, uh, I guess pre-pandemic automation was something that was on the horizon uh, and you know, and was being used, but was, you know, more on the horizon. and was kind of seen as like a specter. It was going to steal jobs and all of this but now people have have seen you know got a taste of of what automation can do um and the potential for it do you think that there's um a more acceptance and acknowledgement that this is the way the industry is going to go and this is what we need to do um to really thrive in the future
0: yeah i i do um so there's i mean there's a few opportunities for automation you know, one is just in the decision making process where previously you would have paid a manager to make some of these decisions and Um, And now, you know, with predictive analytics, we can we can help them with that decision making process and hopefully do as good, if not eventually better than what you would decide kind of on the ground on your own. Um, The same is true for uh, the voice ordering um, capabilities that are coming out. There's a lot of folks, including us in that market space um, that that are looking to automate the voice ordering experience so that you don't have to get someone um in the in the restaurant to do two jobs because typically they were doing two jobs filling cups or you know um working the expo you know table but they were also taking the order for the customer and actually somebody else might have been punching the order into the POS um so uh, you know we see that as as an easily accepted opportunity i'll say you know that voice is incredibly difficult um to get right and people have their own ways of expressing themselves. And it it takes a a lot to get to what a human can really do. Um, You know, just, just ask Siri. Um, It's, it's challenging. So that's, it's going to be coming for quite a while. I think we'll see that most impactful on lower, um, lower volume times for restaurants. So if you're, you know, coming up to a restaurant at two o'clock in the morning, you're probably going to be talking to a bot versus talking to a person, but you would also had a really hard time filling that, you know, human uh, job in today's market anyway. And so uh, for those reasons alone, I think that you're going to see a lot more acceptance. Um, the same is true of, you know, Flippy um, and yeah. Sippy, you know, the, the robotics yeah, sort
1: got, of new brothers and things coming out.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> new, new names coming out. Yeah. yeah. And so, Um, I think you're going to see more of that. Um, we've got you again, you look out at the, at the acceptance of that flippy as in terms of like burger flipping really hard, you know, really hard problem to solve. It's not simple to figure out where the burger patty is and what to do with that, but putting fries in and, and, um, you know, doing pre work related to, like I mentioned, making sure there's enough chicken tenders, um, in, in the hopper to get going. I mean, those are really logical places where, you know, again, you tie some of these things and say like better together, I've got cameras in the drive-through and the drive-through can see I've got 12 cars out there. Some percentage of those cars are gonna order chicken or fries or, or whatever. Now I can tell Flippy to start making more fries, you know? And that's a very logical place to see automation take in. And And again, in order to really do this well, you'd have to hire folks, train them, and um and and the industry and, and all industries as a whole have had a hard time with that, um, in the post pandemic. I think the labor market is another, you know, big strategic question out there. Everyone's trying to figure out a an answer.
1: So I know you said it's hard to see what's next, but what do you see as next for Xenial and you know, and you know, and where rec to, re, restaurant technology is going to go in in the near future. I don't want to go out five years, but you know, in the near future, you know, what what are you seeing? What are you guys working on? And what do you see um, see out there that restaurants are interested in or or need to have on their radar?
0: Well, look, I mean, I I think there are places where, you know, there's there's a sea change in our ability to do things um, in areas like the voice automation is a logical place. We're going to continue to make bets and Vision-related products that um, that you know go beyond what we're doing in, in just the drive-through. It's great to track cars, and there's some you know benefit to saying, hey, that's a red truck, and here's a green sedan, and you know here's here's the order that those cars go in. Uh, you alluded to it previously. There's a, a probably even more interesting benefit to doing that in the kitchen. Um, order accuracy is kind of one of those things that's next on everyone's minds about well, how do I make sure not only that I got the right order and right bag to the right car. So that, that's one thing we're thinking about um, pretty heavily right now. Um, but also, how do I make sure that I built the right sandwich in the first place? Um, there's nothing to stop us from sort of watching that build happen from uh, above, as an example, and, and trying to understand you know, what a, a person in the kitchen is doing. So you're going to see us invest more heavily in places where the technology is almost to that point, And we can take it just that, you know, that next last mile longer. Um, and and we're gonna put, you know, more, we'll, we'll make small, the way I, I work is I make small bets in key areas where we think things are going. And then we watch and see what happens. And that way, when someone asks the question, well, have you thought about, you know, we've at least done some proof of concepts around the idea. and um, And then we can get closer to market, you know, as a partnership opportunity with our customers when when the time is right and their operations teams are ready to talk about it.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much.